should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull****. It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to the Michelle Miao Show. I am your host, and if you miss me, I am so sorry. If you've been tuning in, you might might have uh, realized that I've been in and out, in and out. I just returned from Maui. I know, poor me. <laughs> I was out in Maui um, filming a segment for the show. Actually, 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 not a segment, the entire television show. Um, and for those who are not in the Bay Area, you can catch all of the episodes at michellemeow.com. But I was out there in Maui talking to the LGBTQ community uh, there, and I think that it was extremely insightful and in that some of the people that I met were actually from the Bay Area, either escaping city life or <laughs> going there to retire. Um, and, uh, and I think a lot of them, you know, are just kind of the, the, the small number of people left behind after the two million plus or so tourists go home. Um, and at the end of my trip, I really didn't want to go home. I, I actually think that I might be a small community-oriented person. I think I enjoy that a whole lot more than immersing myself with Big community types with uh, egos. <laughs> anyway, more news for everybody. Um, we have uh, a new person here behind the scenes. Um, Fong has left us officially. And so we will be transitioning a bit this week. So we'll be replaying some important interviews and doing a little bit of new things in, in order to ramp him up. And then when we get all ramped up, of course, um, you'll be the first to know. <laughs> so with that being said, uh, the huge news of Scalia uh, passing away um, just last week. It's got a lot of people thinking about a lot of things. Uh, of course, it, it jogged my mind back to the interview that I did with Shauna Konizhnik, who's one of the authors of the notorious RBG. And it's easier to think about the work that RBG did or <laughs> Ruth Bader Ginsburg than it is uh, Scalia. So in light of that, we're going to go back and replay that interview for you today. Our next guest is, uh, I've been waiting to speak to her <laughs> all weekend long. I'm so thankful for her work, her and uh, her, I guess I should say, co-author uh, Irene Carmen. And, uh, and that's because um, she also was responsible for putting on probably the coolest Tumblr there is out there. <laughs> so let's welcome Shauna. Uh, I'm going to ruin your last name. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no worries. It's the hard one. It's Knizhnik. Knizhnik, which I thought so. And it's that it sounds so cool. But um, but yeah. So let's talk about the, your book, Notorious RBG: The Life and Times of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, thanks for being with us, Shauna. Thanks for having me. 
so let's clarify. I mean, you know, the 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 book, the cover itself looks so awesome, um, but it's uh, it's not your I would say typical biography in that way. Um, you know, where it's like over four hundred pages of anecdotes and you know <laughs> things like that. Tell us what's different about this book. Sure. Yeah. So as you mentioned, it's not your typical um, sort of dry biography, and I think that that was in the spirit of, um, you know, what the Tumblr tried to achieve, which is sort of this combination of fun and substance. You know, obviously the name Notorious RBG is what really, you know, took off in terms of the Tumblr and, and the phenomenon itself. And I think that that speaks to that, you know, juxtaposition, which is this larger-than-life hip-hop icon you know, Biggie Smalls, who, while having a lot, you know, of differences between, you know, between him and Justice Ginsburg, they are both from Brooklyn. Um, as I like to say, they also both sort of speak truth to power. Um, and I think that that sort of aspect of that shared identity or shared, you know, history of marginalization in some way is something that people really um, are drawn to about Justice Ginsburg's story. But, you know, as far as the, the format, we really were kind of trying to figure out, uh, you know, a, a model that didn't, didn't really exist. Mm-hmm. We were looking at other biographies and thinking, well, that's not, you know, that's more serious than what ours is trying to be. But there isn't really any, of you know, looking at fun sort of books aimed at younger readers. It might not be as serious as what we wanted to achieve. So, you know, it really was this delicate balance of keeping the fun and, um, you know, lighthearted aspects of, of the meme, sort of thinking of Justice Ginsburg as this badass figure um, in the popular vernacular, but at the same time doing, you know, no pun intended, but doing justice to her legacy and her work. And so much of her work, you know, of her legacy is about the, the, the you know, the law, which is not necessarily something that translates to popular culture all the right. time. So we really wanted to make sure that we, you know, were accurate when it came to the legal issues that Justice Ginsburg, um, you know, fought for as an advocate and attorney at the ACLU Women's Rights Project and all the issues that she, you know, decided um, and dissented against as a Supreme Court justice, but at the same time celebrating who she was as a person, really trying to bring her to life to, you know, a new generation of, of young people, but also... Well, you know, to, uh, for all generations, I think right. we're really inspired by how intergenerational this phenomenon is. Yeah, and I think, you know, to, to update the various ways of how we get information, right? I mean, RBG has mm-hmm. probably been mentioned in numerous articles and uh, intellectual scholarly work. Um, but now that people are using things like Facebook and and Instagram or, you know, a Tumblr. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think yeah. I think I think that's why you, your work is so important. My my question to you and and uh, this is really just to highlight the importance of RBG's work. Um, you know, in, in her becoming this uh, pop icon, uh, becoming this internet sensation, uh, why why RBG? I mean, you when know, we talk mm-hmm. about and, and this is, this question is more about you know weighing how important this person is uh, in our time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think that there is a real lack of um, sort of role models for young women in particular, I think, to look up to that have been doing the work of, you know, not just social justice, but sort of an explicitly feminist agenda that I think is really 
uh, you know, it's hard to find these sorts of role models who have been doing the work that Justice Ginsburg has been doing. And not only that have been doing the work, but have actually been able to achieve the status, um, you know, and level of, of prominence and, let's face it, power that she has achieved while, you know, not sacrificing her principles. And I think that young women are really inspired by what she had to go through. Um, and it's really, you know, just a testament to how much I think sometimes we take things for granted. I mean, I, you know, am 27 right now, and, you know, you sort of have this conception of what women from the older, you know, from an older generation went through, but really going through that history, I think, is something that was so important for this project and so important to really celebrating Justice Ginsburg's uh, achievements. Um, But at the same time, you know, she's not someone who you would expect to be this sort of icon. And I think that's another reason why people are so drawn to her, is that she is sort of so demure um, and and quiet in person and in her personality. But she packs such a punch when it comes to her ideals, to her, you know, her language and her words. And she's able to communicate the importance of of what she's doing and of what the court is doing um, to her readers, which, you know, are obviously primarily lawyers. But she realizes that the importance uh, you know, it, these cases affect everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, you know the 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 Tumblr and you know and the phenomenon sort of sprung out of her being a dissenting voice, and she never wanted to be a dissenting voice. She would much rather the court speak in unanimity. Um, but when it comes to something that uh, you know, and this, it started with the Voting Rights Act decision, right. which gutted uh, you know one of the most important pieces of civil rights legislation in the United States. And she, you know, she was not going to just sit there and let this happen without sounding the alarm, as it were, and, you know, giving a verbal dissent from the bench. So it's sort of showing people, you know, I think there's a duality to it, that mm-hmm. she's surprisingly um, collegial. She believes in the institution of the Supreme Court, and I think people are often surprised by her friendship, for example, with Justice Scalia. So she's really, you know, she doesn't think that anger is a useful emotion. It's about getting things done. But at the same time, when, you know, people's rights are on the line, when things are, as she saw it, I think, you know, the court was moving in a, in a rightward direction, you know, she wasn't going to just sit there. And so I think that people are really drawn to that aspect um, of her personality. Right. There was a poignant part um, in the book very early on in which um, there was a discussion about her fear of leaving the bench because of the number of conservative justices that could be appointed um, or that it could be, you know, majority conservative justices um, in which mm-hmm. it would reverse a good number of the work that she was involved in and the progress that this country has made. That's that's a real fear, I would think. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I think that what she saw is, you know, her life's mission, her life's mission really is, I think she would put it, is to expand, you know, what we the people means. So for her, the Constitution is not just, um, you know, a set of, uh, uh, of amendments and, you know, articles dealing with the system of government, but it also has principles of equality, of, you know, of justice that are embodied in that document. And so for her, it is about expanding, you know, those rights, expanding the ability for more and more people to participate in our democracy. 
Um, and so for her, especially when it came to the issue of gender equality and reproductive justice, um, both of which are things, you know, that she worked on at the ACLU, um, I think she saw that, you know, women's rights in particular were, were, were on the chopping block. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for her to just let that happen uh, without, you know, letting people know that they should be paying attention to this, um, she wasn't going to do that. And yes, I think she absolutely, she had a lot of criticism for, you know, deciding to, to stay on the bench. A lot of people thought that she should uh, have retired while uh, President Obama uh, could still appoint her replacement. But, you know, she said, I've been doing this work. I can, I'm going to do this work as long as I can still do it full steam. And I'm not going to sit down and, you know, just let someone else, you know, have their turn just because people think that I'm, I'm done with and I'm, uh, you know, n- not relevant anymore. I think she really thinks that she is more uh, liberal than a-, a justice could be in this climate with her record in terms of her ACLU connections. I mean, that was somewhat of a liability on her when she was uh, being confirmed um, in 1993. But even then, she was, you know, confirmed with a vast majority, I think almost unanimous, uh, in the end, and she refused to apologize for her ACLU, um, you know, work. And I think that that would be unlikely to happen in this climate. Um, I, you know, speaking of uh, of women's rights, I mean, I I couldn't help but like tear up at, uh, you know, at the first maybe forty pages of <laughs> of uh, of reading the book. Um, and and a lot of it, you know, because it made sense. It I uh, connected with the book. It, it was the right kind of language and photos and just the way that it was done. It spoke to me and my age group at thirty three years old. And you get to mm-hmm. the women's rights part and you talk about what you mentioned earlier, you know, her will to um, speak openly uh, as far as dissenting, <laughs> you know, um, mm-hmm. it, it sounds like it really takes someone who's willing to fight so hard uh, as a woman to have her mm-hmm. voice heard. And my fear is that, you know, when we the day comes that RBG is no longer on the bench, it's going to be a very, very sad day across many generations for other women. What are your thoughts? Absolutely. I mean, I think that she has been this voice for so long, and and, and not just publicly. You know, I think one of the most important things that we talk about, too, is how much of an influence she has had on, on her fellow justices. I mean, she was appointed to... She actually argued six cases before the Supreme Court as a lawyer, um, and when she was arguing, a Justice Rehnquist, then Associate Justice, was on the court and voted against her in several cases. But then when she got onto the bench, um, you know, she was able to not only befriend him, but also convince him that, you know, times had changed, that women's rights and women's equality was necessary and was not just necessary, but, you know, part of of the Equal Protection Doctrine of the Constitution. She convinced him so much so that he actually wrote um, an opinion where a lot of people who, who read it were thinking, were thinking did, did you write this, Justice Ginsburg? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the same thing with a lot of other cases. You know, there was one case dealing with a strip search of a 13-year-old girl where even, you know, liberal Justice Breyer was joking on the bench about, um, you know, well, why is this a big deal, you know, you know, and Justice Scalia is focusing on the fact that kids, you know, undress in the locker room. 
And she says, you know what, you guys, you have no idea what it's like to be a 13-year-old girl and what that means and how that is slightly different than, you know, being a boy, and right. especially with a male, um, you know, with a male teacher that was doing a strip search. So I think these aspects, uh, you know, she she was never in a gender, you know, an essentialist. She's never a different feminist in the sense that she never wanted to say that women were inherently different than men in any way. And that's why she took male clients um, for several of her highest, you know, profile Supreme Court cases as a lawyer. But at the same time, she b- believes highly that her experience, that everyone's experience, um, you know, no matter what their identity is, uh, for her as a Jewish woman who was also a mother when she was applying for jobs, she defended Justice Sotomayor, uh, who made a controversial comment during her confirmation hearings about being a wise Latina justice and how, but, you know, she said th- those things, of course, affect how we make our decisions because your experience affects your view on issues and on life um, and how, and that should affect your your view on the law and that's why it's important to have women to have minorities to have people of different identities represented at every level of our government mm-hmm. and uh, you know and everywhere else in our society and that's what's so important diversity is not just you know a tokenism it's about bringing people's experiences to to the decisions that they make oh, i love it shauna we're going to take a quick break right here but when we come back i'd love to continue our discussion about your beautiful book notorious rbg the life and times of ruth bader ginsburg don't go away we'll continue our discussion right after this break When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.ale.com. G-R-E-C-A-R-E dot com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Our guest today is probably, I mean, uh, one of the best guests we have on the show is uh, co-author of Notorious RBG, The Life and Times of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and that's Shauna Knizhnik. Um Shauna, right before the break, we you had mentioned other female justices, uh, such as Justice Sotomayor. Um, well, we should mention that uh, we also have Justice Alina Kagan, um, who, my question to you about this is that, you know, do you think that the female justices who had been appointed to the bench and the the numbers increasing, did that make RBG happy? Oh, absolutely. Um, so Justice uh, O'Connor, who was the first woman to serve on the Supreme Court, um, you know, was appointed by President Reagan and was already on the bench when Justice Ginsburg got there. And she was 
so happy that there was another woman, and I think both of them were really happy, especially, in fact, maybe surprisingly, that they sort of differed on a number of issues. That for, for RBG, it was always about showing that women are not all the same, and that just because, you know, that they had the same gender doesn't mean that they're going to come to the same conclusion about everything. That being said, Justice O'Connor, even though she was um, sort of a more on the conservative wing, she used to be the sort of swing vote in a lot of cases, and she had a much more progressive um, voice when it came to women's rights issues. Um, but then Justice O'Connor uh, retired and was replaced by Justice Samuel Alito, and uh, certainly Justice Ginsburg was not happy to be the only woman on the bench. I think she felt um, that it was sort of regressing as opposed to moving forward, um, and she felt lonely in that role. Um, but uh, yes, absolutely. When just uh, you know, when President Obama appointed uh, Justices Kagan and Sotomayor, I think. Now she she likes to say that you know we're all over the bench and that doesn't just mean you know we you know in different places it's literally like when you look at the, the justices on the bench they sit in order of seniority mm -hmm. so now Justice Ginsburg is more towards the center because she's been there for a long time whereas Justice Kagan and Justice Sotomayor are on opposite ends on the sides so it's sort of this you know this vision this the optics of it. Uh, matter, you know, I think is what Justice Ginsburg is trying to say, that when, when young women and, and, you know, women litigants come to the Supreme Court, it's showing people that, you know, women are there to stay. Mm -hmm. um, in the book, you know, you, you go through RBG as a, as a person, too, not, not just mm -hmm. um, a justice. And this is a woman who had been diagnosed with cancer, who lost her husband uh, after many years. Um, and, and I believe in the book, it even mentions that she coped with it by, by going to work. I mean, she this is what mm -hmm. she loves. Um, she, she just can't quit. We mentioned that earlier. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are, if you guys had a chance to ask her kind of where we're at in 2016, election year, lots of issues being brought up, lots of progress made in which she's been a part mm -hmm. of. Um, but yeah, what do you think she thinks are the biggest issues we need to focus on? You know, I mean, I don't want to speak to her. Um, I haven't, you know, we haven't spoken to her about the election in general. I think uh, she has mentioned that she's optimistic um, that was, you know, in response to all the pressure that she was receiving to retire before President Obama's term was up. I don't think that anyone thinks that's going to happen, and certainly it's a, kind of a moot point at this point because mm -hmm. of, um, you know, the Republicans' control of Congress. But, you know, I think that she's absolutely, you know, interested in, in people focusing on on not just ways to move forward, but also making sure that the country doesn't go in a different direction. I think that for her, the, you know, the Voting Rights Act, I think, was the beginning of the Tumblr and was really just what started, you know, my fascination with her in, in a larger way. But I think it's indicative of something bigger for her, which is the fact that, you know, the Voting Rights Act was this uh, grand achievement of the civil rights movement, and it was renewed by Congress after Congress with overwhelming support. And then, in 2013, the Supreme Court decided that the overwhelming support was actually evidence of the fact that it was outdated, and that there was no way that they could vote against it. That's actually something that, you know, Justice Scalia said. And so for her, I think she's most, I mean, obviously she's interested in the expansion of, of, of rights of we the people, but I think that 
you know, in terms of sounding the alarm, I think she's really would be focused on us not regressing and taking away people's rights. Uh, towards the end of the book, there is a whole chapter that's devoted to the photos, the memes, the you know artwork that has come out uh, and included you know in the uh, the Tumblr. Um, I wanted to ask. I mean, since you were the one who mm-hmm. launched this, do you have a favorite? Oh, there's so many favorites. I can't. You know, the, the roof, the roof, Baby Ginsburg is probably. You know, that took off probably the most because it had like every single news organization was had an article about it. So that was pretty awesome, especially when you find out that that baby was actually a baby boy that the parents but dressed him up as as Justice Ginsburg. I thought that was awesome. Um, my favorite, one of my favorite chapters, I mean, the whole book is my favorite. I mean, thank you so much. This is such a gift to me and it's something that I'm always, uh, yeah, I'm going to pass it down to, you know, my daughters, if I have daughters or I I think everybody needs to have a copy of this book really. Um, but the, how to be like RBG, um, Mm -hmm. that was so great. And, uh, you know, did that come from, um, did that come from her specifically, or did you guys just kind of come up with that because of all the work that you've done uh, for this book and, and by meeting her? I think we sort of just came up with it. I mean, we wanted to sort of have a little fun. Like you said, the end of the book is a lot of different um, things, you know, different fun appendices about, you know, there's like song lyrics from the opera that was written about her song lyrics um, from the Notorious RBG rap music video. Uh, that came out the same time the Tumblr started. Um, so there's lots of different things, but we wanted to sort of have like a little fun, just sort of summation of kind of what we thought RBG's most salient characteristics were in terms of, you know, inspiring the next generation of leaders. Um, and I think that that's, you know, something that we wanted to show. And it's really, you know, it's a delicate, new, her, her persona is very nuanced because she isn't this, you know, that's what obviously makes it so funny is that she isn't this larger-than-life person in real life. You wouldn't necessarily expect her to be, you know, and she, as her, her friends and family would say, she's sort of the least likely person to ever want to be an icon or a celebrity. But that sort right. of quiet fortitude, that um, tenacity that she's exhibited throughout her career, and, 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 you know, just willingness to not only fight for the things that she cares about, but to do so in a way that brings others with her. And I, that's what she likes to say, and that's the advice she gave um, to a graduating class that she spoke to, is that, you know, don't assume, you know, negative intentions on the part of your adversary. If you want to beat your adversary, you should paint their argument in the most positive light and then beat them down with logic, not with anger, not with invectives, but by showing, you know, your whoever you're trying to persuade, that you are the one that has the correct argument. And sort of that incrementalist sort of plotting forward is something that I think is, you know, maybe not as um, sexy in our current political climate, but is also something that I think is really important. And I think at least RBG thinks it's very important for achieving lasting change. Um, my favorite one is, uh, but then enjoy what makes you happy. And um, RBG gets out a lot. Um, I just, oh my goodness! Yeah. Her social life is is <laughs> absurd. I can't even. We couldn't keep up with her. She's you know, in, in the summer when the court is not in session, she's traveling in Europe. She's like 
going to the opera everywhere. She's, she went to Southeast Asia this past summer. Um, you know, she just, she gets around. She, she's living life. She's doing it. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, my last comment and, and, and thought, I mean, it's going to be hard. It's going to be impossible, in my opinion, to fill RBG's shoes, which probably are Ferragamo's, by the way. I found that out in this book. Um <laughs> But, you know, we are looking at possibly electing a female president, and I just wanted to see what your thoughts were, who some of those female leaders might, who they might be, and and your thoughts around that. So you mean in terms of, like, replacing her on the Supreme Court? I, I, I mean, no, 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 in a sense of, like, just a female leadership in general, um, and this yeah. idea of, you know, them becoming a phenomenon or a pop icon or you know something of that level i don't know if we we have anyone yet or if we could even yeah I mean, someone comes I mean i think that that's something that's really interesting about this phenomenon in general um i should say i can't really talk about um my own opinions on the election because i'm currently a law clerk myself and i'm supposed to keep neutral as far as political candidates go yeah but i will say that it is you know something that i think this phenomenon speaks to a lack of 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 female leaders and, and sort of icons um, that have achieved the level of power that, that Ruth Bader Ginsburg has been able to achieve. Um, I was interviewed for an article last or summer of 2014 where, where the interviewer asked me if I remember having a, you know, a woman in power to look up to when I was growing up that sort of had the same sort of cachet in pop culture, and, and I really couldn't think of anyone. I, I just didn't have anyone in mind mm-hmm. and 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 I think that that speaks to the fact that we do still have a long way to go and that it, you know it does matter that you know women's representation does matter. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today and thank you for this this incredible beautiful book. Thank you to both you and I Irene. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Grab a copy right now while you can. It's Notorious RBG, The Life and Times of Ruth Bader Ginsburg by Irene Carmen and Shauna Knizhnik. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Like us on Facebook and share us with your friends. Find out more at facebook.com slash progressive voices. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. 
Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.alegrecare.com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us here on this Monday. Um, Monday and uh, kind of almost officially the last week of February, which is... um, this year is going by really, really fast. Don't forget, there is an extra day in uh, February uh, this month, and it's very special. It only comes every once in a while, and it's leap year. Um, our next guest is Salise Berry. She is the executive director of uh, of Out and Equal, uh, and it, you know this incredible organization that um, some of us have seen from its infancy and. And, and kind of interesting to see how fast the organization has grown. And as you know, it's the organization that works with big Fortune 1000 companies even um, uh, to include, you know, sexual orientation protections, gender identity, and uh, empowering the LGBTQ community to be out at work, out and equal. So let's welcome Celise to the show. Celise, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Michelle. Glad to be here. So I was saying to you before we started the show, it's an interesting time to be having a conversation with you, but at the same time, kind of scary. I don't know if you understood what, where I was going with that, but, um, but, but that's how I really feel. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, I think it's an exciting time, and certainly, you know, we can celebrate marriage equality, and we need to be uh, grabbing that from the rooftop. And, you know, there's still, I mean, we started, you know, I started out in equal. 20 years ago because there was no federal law to protect our community from workplace discrimination, employment discrimination, and here we are 20 years later and we still don't have that federal law. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's still a lot of work to do, but our work has really been with company by company making sure that they have the policies in place that, like you said, people can be out and equal at work and want to see things change um, as a result of that. I, I mentioned scary, and I should clarify, and that's because, um, like you had just said, you know, 20 years later, we still don't have full federal protection or, um, you know, regarding sexual orientation, gender identity at some workplaces. Um, and and at the same time, there's this thing happening in 2016, and uh, I know it's an election year, so a lot of this conversation is happening. It's not, you know, out equal doesn't focus on the politics um, but, you know, there are certain laws that uh, I feel are kind of regressing in time. And so you see some companies step in to stick up for LGBTQ rights. And then you see some companies who kind of fall into uh, that uh, that space where they're they're either afraid to 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 support LGBTQ rights because of those who oppose um, something like marriage equality, for example, um, I kind of wanted to start the show off with having a discussion about that. Do you see that as a major, you know, part of of what you do and having conversations with these these companies? Yes, absolutely. And twenty years ago, when I first started, um, only five percent of Fortune five hundred companies included sexual orientation, and now that number is over ninety percent. So we've clearly come a long way. And about 60, uh, over 60% includes gender identity. So people are understanding, corporations, 
uh, businesses, uh, workplaces in general are understanding that in order to recruit and retain the brightest and the best, that they can't, uh, they need to, you know, have policies, positive policies in place for our community to feel comfortable coming out at work. Um, and you're right. I mean, there's the, the RIFRA, the religious freedom, uh, you know, kind of embedding discrimination under this idea of religion, which is um, horrible in and of itself, um, mm-hmm. but coming coming through. And we've seen, you know, our constituents and our partners, um, we were at a, had brought together executives and people started learning more about what's happening in Indiana a year ago and starting to um, send texts to their CEOs and their um, uh, PR departments, and, and soon people were making calls to the governor of Indiana. So I think, you know, we've seen more and more of that happening where large businesses are saying to uh, the legislators, you know, do not, do not legislate discrimination. It's bad for business, and mm-hmm. it's bad for us. Right. And I think that that's, um, you know, moving us in the right direction. So there's speaking of marriage equality, you know, the, uh, some people are using this uh, tagline or motto or this this saying, right, that you can, you know, be married on a Saturday, fired by Monday. Um, that, you know, how serious <laughs> is this? It's not a joke, right? It's not just something that people are saying. It's it's true. Right, exactly. And I, I'd like to take credit for it. being <laughs> the first people to say it. But um, uh, we, we did, you know, help people recognize that our work's not done. And um, right on the heels of marriage equality, of course, uh, the Equality Act was reintroduced and has been, you know, introduced many times. It's kind of a, a much broader bill than just Employment Non-Discrimination Act, which was um, also introduced many, many times and never got... Um, passed. So I, I think, you know, there's a lot of hopefulness about the Equality Act. I think people are looking around and recognizing that, you know, we're, we have not really been attacked like we were during eight years ago during that uh, election time. So uh, that's all good. It doesn't mean that our opponents are not uh, whiling away kind of, uh, stra- you know, looking at strategy to, to look for ways to um, discriminate, but uh, it does feel like we're moving in the right direction, and we need to, um, you know, ensure that we are um, protected in employment as well as public accommodation in all all levels of our mm-hmm. lives, uh, all over the country, and not just in the twenty plus states that uh, protect us today. If we, um, you know, talk about this in within the community, the LGBTQ community, um, yeah, you know, there's some people who say, well, we we've got marriage equality, so that means we've got benefits now in some of uh, the companies we work for, and and you know, since Out and Equal works for with Fortune 1000 companies, some of the best companies to work for when you're LGBTQ live, you know, are kind of right here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, Talk to us about the specifics, you know, that companies can do as far as uh, sexual orientation, gender identity protections um, that goes beyond just providing benefits. Yeah, we um, encourage uh, companies to support an LGBT employee group, and that's often the folks that are organizing within their company to do the right thing. Uh, to 
market to our community to and to not just stop with rolling out these policies in the U.S. That many of these companies, most of them are multinational companies, and they have um, workplaces all over the world. And you know, as we all know, we can now be married in in 22 countries, but we can still be arrested and imprisoned and even killed mm-hmm. in, in certain countries around the world and close to 80 countries. So our hope is that the companies will uh, not just stop with rolling out policies, but will actually um, have, you know, an impact uh, and, again, kind of um, uh, reach out to uh, the, the um, presidents and the countries. Um, government in order to make a statement about how important it is for LGBT people to be free to, to live and to work uh, around the world. So there's many things that uh, companies can do to um, learn more about LGBT mm-hmm. uh, equality. And, and of course, we, you know, our, the Out and Equal Workplace Summit is, is one of the best ways of, of uh, being able to learn about ways that you can kind of uh, raise the bar around your workplace, making sure that you have transgender um, benefits and you have transgender transitioning guidelines in place uh, for the transgender community and all kinds of ways that you can keep making your uh, company and your workplace a a better place for LGBT people. Mm -hmm. Is it possible for us to... To talk uh, about specific, you know, companies, I, I kind of didn't send you my questions before, so it's totally okay if you're like, you know, uh, if you need to pass on a question. But um, yeah, I wanted to get your thoughts on a couple of companies. You know, it's always it's always hard to uh, to point out certain companies, and um, partly because we we work with about six hundred of the Fortune one thousand companies, so uh, hard to kind of say, you know pick out a handful, but of course, you know, we have um, this year, for example, we had uh, Disney and Dell and uh, Deloitte as some of our um, biggest sponsors. Well, Fargo's been a sponsor for many years. There's, Like you said, there's many um, companies in the Bay Area that I would encourage people to look at our website, and you can see, you know, at a glance, all the companies that are supporting our work, and those are the companies that are doing the right thing around LGBT issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I guess because, you know, in the past, a lot of people have relied on HRC's index when it comes to companies who are um, being inclusive or at least, you know, does not provide, you know, uh, harmful policies that impact the LGBTQ community. It sounds like, you know, without an equal, I mean, kind of your every day is about empowering these companies and working with them hand in hand in making the necessary changes uh, in order to, to provide a much more equal workplace. I mean, was that a, a pretty fair assessment or a comment to make? Yes, absolutely. We're, we're kind of the ones that um, when a company is at a 40%, uh, we're the ones that come come in and have conversations. We offer an LGBT diversity training. Uh, they come to um, the summit, which brings together 3,500 LGBT employees and our allies and HR and diversity professionals for like three and a half days of this, you know, 120 workshops and inspiring speakers and uh, all kinds of fabulous um, events 
and uh, forums in order to to learn more about LGBT equality. We bring together out uh, LGBT executives once a year in San Francisco. That's coming up next next um, month in 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 San Francisco. Uh, just again to learn, you know, to kind of learn from each other, peer to peer education to, to figure out ways to be have a more of an impact um, as executives uh, mm -hmm. in the workplace. Uh, so those are, you know, resources that are available, and then we um, we help those companies move from the lower numbers to over 100%. And then there's always ways that, you know, it's it's getting those policies in place that can be measured, but it's sometimes it's that really focusing on the culture of the organization to really make sure that people feel safe uh, being out at work. Right, right. Michelle Miao, we're speaking with Celise Berry, who is the executive director of Out and Equal, um, an organization that empowers uh, HR professionals, employee resource groups, companies, really, um, Fortune 1000 companies, in uh, providing an equal workplace inclusive of the LGBTQ community. Um, I, you know, there was one question I wanted to ask, and that has to do with the LGBTQ's relationship with these companies. Obviously, a lot of us are now able to 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 work uh, for some of these companies that we we didn't think that we would be able to. And like you mentioned before, having been with this organization and and starting this twenty years ago, um, there's there's this uh, you know feeling of. I don't. I don't want to say complacency, but but that things are better now. And um, you had just mentioned there there's still a lot of, of work to be done. I I mean when you you talk about a company like for example Walmart, um, they did the right thing by speaking up and and out and against Rifra in Arkansas. Uh, but there's still so much that they can do policy wise. Um, is that a company that uh, Out and Equal works with? It is. Yes, and um, you know there was one. And often, I think it's a good example because there's often one person that is inspired and learns about out and equal or, or other resources. And there was one man that came to the summit probably about eight, eight or so years ago, um, and he was just blown away by everything that was there. And he he came back to Walmart to Bentonville and brought three or four of his colleagues the next year, and they put together this. Um, 20-page document of all the things that they learned at the summit and all the ways that they really wanted to make changes there and brought me out uh, to Bentonville and I went and spoke there and met with a lot of executives. And so it's really the power of, you know, one and, and a group of LGBT employees that have really made, um, continued to drive change at Walmart. And, and again, they're a company with uh, sites all over the world. And, uh, you know, one of the biggest employers in the country. And so it's been exciting to see them uh, move forward. And they, you know, I think the executives and the decision makers learn. And our message consistently is, you know, if you are hiding who you are, if you're changing pronouns and you come to work every day, then you're not putting that energy into your job and into being successful for the company. And we want to create workplaces where we can bring all of who we are to work every day. And that it means having those policies in place. So, Lise, we're going to take a quick break right here. But when we come back, I want to continue our conversation about uh, the work that Out and Equal does and these um, incredible companies that you work with. So stay with us, okay? All right. Thank you, Michelle. The Michelle Miel Show continues right after this.
You're listening to the Progressive Voices Channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say, I do especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Sines, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.alegrecare.com. Allegra Home Care serving your community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here today. Our guest today is Salise Berry, who's on the phone, and she's the executive director of Out and Equal. And we're talking about her very important work in connecting with these big, large companies uh, when it comes to LGBTQ protections and making it a better and equal place in the workplace. So, so Lisa, we had just kind of finished up our conversation before the break about, um, you know, co- companies as big as Walmart, um, in in which many people in the LGBTQ community, uh, even see as as a company who, uh, I well, I I guess I, I'll just say it. They're <laughs> they're not very popular. Um, in, in that, you know, they have some business practices that not very many people agree with, but out and equal is taking the challenge in, um, working with them. Yeah, we, we work with all, uh, companies and recognize that, you know, we're hoping that, um, to make, uh, all workplaces a safe place for LGBT people to come out, uh, and have equal pay for equal work. It's really moving our, you know, the, the rights of our community forward. And it also, and for so long, um, you know, offering domestic partner benefits, which uh, predated marriage equality, uh, having policies in place is really a litmus test for a company to be able to proudly say that they are supportive of our community. And often that was, was a sent a message to new, um, you know, graduates and employees that are entering the workforce this is a, a great place to work, both for LGBT people, but also for, for our allies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to ask your opinion. I mean, I, again, you, you founded this, this organization and, um, you know, 20 years ago, 
uh, pride celebrations, some of them um, in San Francisco, for example, has been around for over 45 years. Um, so there's this element of, you know, living through that time in which companies absolutely were not inclusive of LGBTQ people. And we protested those companies. <laughs> and now, right. you know, we have a lot of these companies, you know, who are, are celebrating with us, especially um, uh, during Pride. And I think there's this growing conversation uh, about, you know, our relationship with these with with these corporations that they, they need to do so much more. Um, and. I, I just wonder from like your, the work that you do, you know, what is, what is your opinion about our growing relationship with these companies? I mean, it's, it's not, I don't think protesting um, and banning companies is where I'm trying to get at. I, I don't think that that is part of our movement in today's time. I think what you're doing is much more impactful. You know, yes. And I, I think, um, you know, social change happens from all kinds of uh, avenues, and the one that we're taking is is really focusing on the workplace. And the workplace, what I've seen over the years, um, is that you know it's a it's a an amazing opportunity for social change because people get to know Maria, who's a, a fabulous IT person, and oh by the way, happens you know her partner happens to be a woman. It it isn't this big you know like oh my god you know these lesbians and gay men transgender people, but they're getting to know people as um, colleagues, and they become friends, and then suddenly it demystifies this whole notion of what LGBT people are really like. And so I think it, it, it is helping all of us move forward. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I think, um, like you said, it's when we started um, coming up with the idea of, award, of giving awards to companies that are doing the right thing... Uh, 20, close to 20 years ago when we started the Audi Awards, uh, some of the folks on the committee said, well, let's make sure we have a Raspberry Award, you know, let's make sure we point out the companies that are doing horrible. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, let's just focus on the positive, a little um, Pollyanna maybe, but it just felt important to acknowledge the people that were doing the right thing and that all, the people that were uh, not doing the right thing um, and were really hurting our, our community uh, would feel, you know, like maybe they need to get it together. And uh, we've seen such a, a positive impact because um, we are an organization that does not demonize the, the folks that are doing, you know, that aren't there yet. We're kind of, we're building relationships with um, with those companies as well and helping them along and recognizing that there are LGBT people that work. We are everywhere and we right. work everywhere even in companies that, are, that aren't quite there yet. And right. little by little, they're making, making changes. I, I mentioned it earlier, and I know that the organization doesn't specifically work on legislation or influence, you know, politics um, in, in that way. But um, it, it seems like it's become a little bit more difficult to separate the two, especially when you've got big companies who, who will threaten states, you know, if... Um, uh, for example, you mentioned Indiana, all right? And Salesforce was really uh, big on that in threatening to pull out their business of Indiana if they had adopted a religious freedom um, bill. And and so I kind of wanted to get your thoughts since, you know, just a, a couple weeks ago, we hear from a handful of states who had passed anti-transgender uh, legislation. I, I mean, at some point, you know, some of the work that you do has some crossover a little bit, you know, right? Or, or am I kind of wrong on that 
No, we are, you know, we're a 501c3, we're a nonprofit organization, so our, our um, you know, strategy is really to educate, and obviously um, we, have, we have opinions and we're um, educating, you know, uh, around legislation that is supportive of our community and um, educating people and bringing to light the, the kinds of things that are <clears throat> detrimental to our community, and so... Our, we have 20-plus regional affiliates with kind of chapters around the country, and our, our folks in Houston were working day in and day out to make sure that the companies that they were representing were, um, you know, kind of working against the, the HERO ordinance. Mm-hmm. And we lost on that one, you know, but uh, we've won uh, in, in, in Arkansas and because of partly because of Walmart's commitment um, and... Um, in Indiana and other states, so it's 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 an interesting um, you know phenomenon to watch. But I think more and more companies are recognizing that this is just the wrong thing to do um, uh, legislatively, and we should not again just you know legislate discrimination, and that companies are willing to stand up on behalf of our community because of those individuals they've gotten to know, and it's just not fair. Right. Right. Well, let's let's wind down with this and be much more positive. Obviously, in the 20 years that you've been the founder of this organization and also the executive director, a lot has changed and we're very happy with that. Um, what are some exciting things coming up in 2016 for Out and Equal? Well, uh, we just opened our East Coast office, so that's exciting. Um, I uh, just moved from San Francisco to D.C. to, to open the, the office here. And um, it's not you know, it, it does make me closer to the hill, so to speak, but um, we've had more and more, we've been very successful with our corporate partners over the years, and now more and more federal agencies uh, are very interested in, in, you know, embedding LGBT-friendly policies in their workplace. So I, I, I'm meeting with folks at the State Department, at the White House, at USDA, at, at CIA, <laughs> uh, at <laughs> CIA? Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. And again, it's sort of like, you know, being able to um, to have those meetings with with folks that even 10 years ago would have felt like, wow, a real stretch. But now, you know, it's, again, it's LGBT people that are coming to the Out and Equal Summit and learning ways that they can make their workplace safe and then inviting me uh, and our my my team to come in and have longer conversations. So it's exciting to see the growth. So we're here now. Many of our, our sponsors and partners are um, on the East Coast, in New York and up and down the East Coast, but it gives me an opportunity to also uh, reach out to, um, to our federal partners. And then, um, you know, we've been doing global work for over 10 years, and so that will, uh, you know, just expanding our geographic scope is also part of that. So we have global partners in, in Brazil and India and uh, Italy and about six other countries around the world. Wow. People wanting to kind of do similar work. So it's an exciting time. <laughs> it's much more exciting than <laughs> I guess it is scary. Well, Celise, thank you so much for being here with us today and sharing the work that you do. And, of course, thank you for for just being you and continuing to do what you do. Thank you, Michelle. I appreciate it.
That's the Michelle Miao Show, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Um, we'll be back at the same time, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time tomorrow. Uh, just so you know, um, you know, like I said, we have a new producer that we're training, so you're going to hear a little bit of everything future-wise, presence-wise, <laughs> you know, past tense-wise. For everything else, you can head to michellemiao.com. Talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>